Welcome to the Fayetteville Fire Podcast, where we talk about all things fire-related, safety tips, and things that are happening in our can-do city. I'm Don Cheetah, Captain Community Risk Reduction, Fayetteville Fire Department, and I'll be your host. Our podcast today is going to be on community risk reduction. Fire Prevention Week is coming up October 8th through the 14th. This year's theme is Cooking Safety Starts With You. We'll talk more about that during our safety message of the month. So community risk reduction, I'd like to welcome my guests, Deputy Fire Marshal Captain Justin McLaurin and Firefighter Fire Life Safety Educator Nick Hammond. Welcome, gentlemen. (laughs) What's happening? Thanks, sir. (laughs) So community risk reduction, process to identify and prioritize local risks, followed by the integrated and strategic investment of resources to reduce their occurrence and impact. That's the book definition. So we're talking about community risk reduction. What are we really talking about? I'll give you an example. Just finding a problem that's a big problem and reducing it to little to zero, little to zero problem. Right. And when we used to think about community risk reduction in, in years gone by, and a few of us got a few years under our belt, you thought of fire prevention, mm-hmm. fire prevention week. Stop, drop, and roll. Yeah. And we thought about, you know, fire life safety educators, get out and educating the public, talking to the kids in school. And then a lot of people don't understand is uh, fire code enforcement. That's right. It's a big way into that. Yeah, fire code enforcement in reality gets us into a lot of just businesses, daycares, and schools to hit on community risk reduction itself, not just code enforcement. So once we get into those schools or daycares, we can hit on stop, drop, and roll, uh, knowing how to call 911, just in general knowing their address. Uh, a lot of safety tips that we can pass on to the teachers and things they can teach the kids while they're not only in those classrooms, but something they can take home to their parents. For those of you out there that don't know that there's a fire safety code or a fire code enforcement, um, just like a building code and when there's certain aspects that, and certain specs that your house has to be built by, fire safety codes have come through the years, uh, unfortunately, over major tragedies. And each time there's a major tragedy, whether it's a blocked exit, or not enough exits or escape avenues, the fire code changes and, it, and it's all in, in making businesses, uh, commercial properties, multifamily dwellings safer for you individuals out there. That's right. So we went from them three things. Now we got this thing called Vision 2020. So we've, we've expanded upon community risk reduction. Can you kind of talk about how, how it's expanded and evolved from just a simple three-part aspect to where it is or where it's going when you say expanded you mean like how our education tools have expanded or or teaching or teach what methods of teaching well i think i think you hit a little bit on it earlier is now we're, we're going more into um just not standard public education and and stuff and talking to the kids but we're actually going into identifying now what our risks are you know what what's our highest risk in the city unattended cooking i would say that's the leading calls year after year if you you look at the data data is powerful data is key and for as long as i can remember being in the fire service unattended cooking has been the leading cause of fires in the residential home right and as a city as a whole that is probably what our biggest risk is right but we got different stations different community risk reduction zones that we've created so in each one of those zones that data may look different even though we'll just say in Station 1's area, they've got a higher risk of slip, trips, and falls, but in Station six areas, they've got unattended cooking fires is their main concern. So that's where we've started going to station base, obviously education, and them hitting that community and 
trying to reduce those things as much as possible. Right. And that's where we've come the vision 2020 and it's come with these community risk assessments where we got to collect this data and assess these different risks in these different areas. And uh, what are some of the things that go into identifying a risk within a district other than just the calls? It's really if the community reaches out for education, um, our home safety surveys, smoke alarm installs like our guys noticing those things and really boots on the grounds outside of just those calls. Just getting to know your district. Um, so many other things that go in there, talk about the, the demographics. Uh, the city of Fayetteville is a, a very diverse city. Um, just take Station 17's district. The, the diversity of economic and, and, and different uh, diverse uh, backgrounds of people that are in your district. Mm-hmm. 17 is a working middle class um, and it does have a lower end poverty class. Um, there's somehow, there's a, I think Aftonshire, if I don't say, was flooded years ago and they were able to, somehow they were able to stay in their homes and stuff like that. And but you have some places that have not been well kept uh, as far as landlords and stuff like that. And the cooking technology that they have in there is very outdated and is very dangerous and that's where these smoke alarm um, canvases come into play us getting into the homes and seeing what they have and stuff like that and able to educate these people on you know hey this is a huge fire hazard and stuff like that and here's why and here's show you and stuff like that and just make sure they also have working smoke alarms but on top of that you also got an educational gap so we've got college educated individuals in the workforce and then we also got people that didn't pass high school so you have an educational gap that you've got to merge to get the same message across, but you may have to teach it two or three different ways so those individuals understand it on their level of education. And what about, you know, we're Fort, Fort Liberty's right out, right at our back right. door. So what is the challenge when you bring in, um, you know, we're talking about diversity within a community and we're thinking ethnicity, different backgrounds, but what about just people growing up in different parts of the country? Oh, yeah, 100%. And all coming into a melting pot. How does that challenge, you know, we're here in the southeast, but you got people from, you know, Oregon to California to state of New York. and Alaska. Yeah. Everywhere in between. Do, do you see where that is, becomes a challenge out mm-hmm. there in the communication gap? Yeah. 100%. You, you're going to have that individual, well, I'm able to do that over here and not have a problem, but then obviously they move into a more city environment and not be so urban they've actually got to change their way of thinking. So they're more worried about wildland fires where they probably come from to now they're worried about dangering their neighbor's property, what they used to be able to do at their farm or whatever back home. And, and different, you know, different backgrounds, different parts of the country, they cook differently. That's right. Um, I'm, I'm from the Midwest, so there wasn't a lot of fried foods. It was a lot of grilling. So, you know, we're down in the South. People have a tendency to. You ate a lot of brats, didn't you? Yes, did eat a lot of brats, I'll brats admit that. Po- brats and pop. Yeah, and we drank our pop. <laughs> but, you know, just talk about that. How do, how do you, where do you see that gap? Do you see a lot of oil cooking fires or grease fires because of the different type of cooking done down here? Frying French fries at 10 o'clock at night when you get home. Because <laughs> some of your late-night fires, I've been to them before, I get to the homeowner. Luckily, everybody got out of the house. Most of the time, most people get out of the house, thank thankfully and we talked to them like can you tell us what happened they're like well i was i was 
I was frying French fries or frying pork chops. I'm like, 11 o'clock at night? Why? Well, microwave broke. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So, but yeah, um, I will say this. And I've been with the city coming up on 10 years. I've been in fire service over over 15. Um, and it's always traces back to the grease fire. And if whether that, when they do notice it, it's too late and it's already got up into the microwave and the cabinets. So, I mean, obviously they get out and call 911 or they'll pick it up, the pan up, they're barehanded and try to run to the door to throw it outside. And you get the secondary effect of burn. Man, I'm going to tell you what, you, you, you've been here, this game as long as I have. You see a burnt hand with a pan, like from a cast iron pan. Oh, that yeah. just, oh, it just looks so painful. Because, I mean, you just panic. You just see fire and you're like, oh, no, oh, crap. I've got to, I got to save my house. Like I say, people inside. So. Yeah, and a lot of times that's all they got. So their natural reaction is if I can get this danger away, I can save this over here. I'll tell you a story. I was watching Next Level Chef one time, and they had a fire in the kitchen. The guy was cooking, and it's a controlled atmosphere. It's on, it's live, it's on TV. And Gordon Ramsay says, pick the pan up. Pick the pan up. I'm like, no, use the, use the, use the lid. He, Gordon picks the pan up with a towel, walks it across the stage, and throws it in the sink, and then turns the water on. I'm like, why didn't you just... The, the lid's right there. I mean, this is a big lid. I mean, it's got a big old pan. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm just screaming at the TV. And then years of being in CRR will do that to you. You're just screaming, throw a lid or baking soda. <laughs> just cover it. Don't, cover it. Turn it off. Don't carry it across and slosh liquid, making it worse. Yeah, especially, that's a big especially thing. Especially on TV. That <laughs> oh, message, yeah. That's a good message. And nobody caught that. Like, nobody commented that. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Don't put water on it. Don't try to carry so it. so mad. Put a lid on it. Turn the flame off. Turn the, turn the stove off. So what other types of challenges um, are we seeing in our city, types of calls that are, are really challenge us to try to, to reduce that risk, get involved in the city? I, obviously, we can't do it all as just fire department, correct? No, we can't. Um Every time I go to a community risk reduction, I advocate about the smoke alarm program, and I advocate uh, to please check on your neighbors, your friends, church mates, everybody, especially the elderly, because you know we've been. You have some people who do very quite quite well for themselves in their in their age of you know over sixty five, but you look at some of these smoke alarms, and they're just like fossils. I mean, they're that tan green, about as green as that sheet right there. And, and a lot of it's just, um, they just didn't know about it. Yeah. And that's, Poor education. It is. And uh, the, the better you can get the word out, is the better. And um, that, that to me is an ongoing issue in the city is just people not knowing about it and not, not, maybe not, at, not, not knowing how to ask for the resources yeah. that they need. Scared to ask for the resources. Yeah, because I mean, I, I'm, I don't like to ask for help or ask for anything in that manner. But it's here. It's your. I tell them this is your tax money. This is your tax dollars. We're here for you. Yeah, you know, this is purchased from the state level and local level. And I think that falls back somewhere into that learning gap and that that social mm-hmm. development of, of mm-hmm. folks. And uh, that's why the way I see community risk reduction expanding now is the fire service we're reaching out to social services we're reaching out to get counselors to come in with us and you know it's an educational process for the folks and obviously we can't do it by ourselves 
So we try to bring these other folks in that maybe are better in that area. Right. But it's not just fire, though. We also try to do community risk reduction on it. It's, it's everything. It's anything. Like the, the fentanyl epidemic. Um, people be, can become exposed and, you know, not even realize they've been exposed and, you know, either succumb to the injuries or just get really, really sick or bad off. So, I mean, and it's also about preventing trips and falls in the home, like Chief, McClor- Chief McLaurin over here said. It's, just, it's more than just fire prevention. It's reducing the risk of an emergency or incident happening. Right. And and that's where I say we, we you know, how do we as a fire department address somebody that's a hoarder to help them? Can we do that on our own or do we need some of them outside entities? Yeah, you definitely need those outside entities because what contributed to them being a hoarder, right? They probably got some trauma, emotional damages going on. And then some life-changing event that they became a hoarder. They could have been the cleanest person all their life, and mm-hmm. that event happened, and it's a totally opposite person you know, than they normally were. We've had incidents like that, and we've gotten involved with the family to try to talk to them to see if there's anything we can do at our level, whether it's take some stuff outside, put it by the curb, or they, some people some people say, you know, it will tell you it didn't always used to be this bad. They bitch may not have help. They might be willing to help part ways with some of the stuff they've got or clean up. They just need that little bit of push. So but that's what we've done. We've reached out to family and maybe like um, any type of mental health person, mental health or organization that assists with stuff like that. Because yeah. there's 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 organizations out there that are willing to help people. Oh yeah, well, prime examples a couple of weeks ago, you know the. The city council just elected to invest some money in some uh, outdated property to bring it up to speed to make it into a facility like that to help some of the homeless, some of these people battling drug addiction and stuff like that. So that's a great resource, and that's also a foot in the door for us to prepare them people to get back on their feet when they get back into general society. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 bigger than just the fire department. Um, I, I had uh, an individual from the department ask me once, "What what is our goal?" I mean. 20 years ago, it's not that we didn't have this problem. I don't think 20 years ago we recognized we had the problem. Yeah, we was informed. Yeah. We knew we was going to fires and pulling cats out of trees, yeah. you know. So 20 years ago we sat around the station, a bell went off, and then we responded mm-hmm. and took mitigated the incident. And I think that it wasn't that these things weren't going on then. We just didn't recognize it because we weren't out there. Yep. Getting out and knowing your community, knowing knowing your fire district, knowing the people in it, recognizing that, oh, yeah. and then well, trying to get them help. Well, even on top of that, you know, we got to recognize the city of Fayetteville in general is a big transit community from uh, Fort Liberty. So we, we not only have people in and out, but we have language barriers. So with that transit community, you know, today we may have a Spanish-speaking problem. Well, tomorrow it could be a bunch of Latins are uh, French-speaking individuals that come in, and we have that language barrier that we need to encounter. Um, same thing with the Asian people we've got in the community. There could be possibly a language barrier there that we have to overcome and get a translator for. And if not, they have someone that's very well-versed in English that's in currently school education in Cumberland County. That's really our into the family person that's our point of contact, and that could be a 12-year-old child. It's funny you bring up the, the different languages ran a vehicle wreck years ago and couldn't understand what the guy was saying so and we had 
Spanish police officer out there and stuff, and nobody could figure out. My one firefighter walked up and said, oh, that's French Creole, and started talking to the guy. Wow. He just happened to study French Creole when he was in high school and was able to communicate with this guy. But, you know, it just shows you how much different it is here as a transient melting pot, so to speak, with Fort Liberty. We talked about home safety surveys. What's that entail? Uh, when I did the home safety surveys is anytime I would go to, you know, a smoke alarm installation and working as a fire life safety educator, um, as I'm doing, you know, putting in smoke alarms, I'm looking at everything in the house. So I'm like doing a mental survey and I'm talking with the homeowner like the entire time while I'm talking about her day, just trying to see how it's going, the weather, politics, anything like that. But I'm also, um... I'm looking for drop cords. I'm looking to see if in the kitchen, like, is the air fryer pushed all the way against the wall? If it is, you know, making sure she's pulling it out when she uses it. Um, I'm also looking for space heaters, basic anything that I can see a potential hazard, whether it's a fire hazard, trip hazard, or, you know, even a hazardous material concern. Yeah, um, especially I, chemicals. Yeah, chemicals are a big thing. Is the – does she keep um, – like the true fuel, like the true fuel cans, like oh, the metal yeah, the cans. 50, 50 cans. And some people, I've seen them. You go in like the laundry room, you know, right inside the home, not in the garage, which is right there. They'll have them stored on top of the things for the whatever. I'm just like, you can put that outside. Here's, here's, shed or something. Here's why. Not next to the gas water heater. You got the dryer the right here. It's got a lot of heat. If that thing, you know. That fuse right. is going to fall down. <laughs> well, and that's what's been going back to the educational piece of it. Yeah. And, and uh, we're really making a push. I, I think you guys started a few years ago is really trying to make a push mm-hmm. to go basically door to door and knock on our neighbor's door and it say, is. hey, we'd love to conduct a home safety survey. Just point out things that could help you be safe in the house. It is. And it goes back to we'll, we'll tell them. I usually I would tell talk to them about calls that. I've had or we've, that have going on recently, and they might say, "Oh, my friend, this, that, and the other," and her dryer quit working. Like speaking of dryer, how's your dryer? Have you cleaned your lint filter out lately? Just stuff like that, just to get their mind wondering and thinking. You know, I should, I should probably do better about taking care of stuff like oh, that. Yeah. And that's good. I mean, that's what we need as a community. And one of the big things I hit on when I did home safety surveys is, hey. We preach two ways in and out, you know, fire alarm drills and stuff like that. Are you doing that at home just like your kids are doing it at school and at work? Are you really doing that? And a lot of times the adults are kind of surprised, like, yeah, we don't do that. So when you ask them, well, how are you getting out of this room if you can't go through that door? And a lot of times they stumble in those few seconds ultimately means life and harm. Well, well, let me ask you this. How many times you've been to a home and they only use the side door because they've got like, a couch or a furniture yeah. blocking the front because they, they say we don't use the front door or, or to Christmas time they put the tree right there in the front door. Yeah, I've been to plenty of EMS calls and we've had to move the couch or whatever was there. Yeah, just so we can get the stretcher back out because we got somebody on it. It's yeah, it's crazy. Several of the fatalities I've been in over my career. Yep, is been the individuals dropped at the door they normally use is where you find them. Mm-hmm. And then as you start the investigation process, you realize that more likely than not, they were not in that area. The door was by the kitchen. Won't 10 it? feet back. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And if it they starts had, in the kitchen. If they'd have had a second way out, 
they wouldn't be, you know. Yeah, or if they had to close that room, that door of the room they were in and just popped out the window. Right. And, and if they can get out the window. Yeah, make sure your window's uh, open and shut periodically, uh, not nailed down, screwed down, or painted. 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 That's the down. worst one. Paint. Oh, those are tough. Let me tell you, paint's, paint's tougher than nails some days. <laughs> so you talk about our, we talked about the smoke alarm program a little bit in, in neighborhood canvassing. Um, 40% of all fatal fires did not have a working smoke alarm. Three or Two out of five. Two out of five deaths did not have a working smoke alarm. So what are the things we're doing to try to get out there and ensure that these folks have a working smoke alarm? Well, one thing we're doing, you know, me coming from an engine company and a squad company, you know, the primary call the fatal fire department runs is an EMS call, whether it's sick, fall, you know, or, or a personal injury. Any uh, three two ones, right? Three two ones, three elevens. <laughs> but uh, love three eleven. Um, and I'll tell you this: when we go, my biggest when I'm on like my CRR radar goes off because I'm telling you, once you once you go in and then come out, it never goes away. But when I go in these rundown trailer park homes, like stuff like that, any any type of home where I see just like it's been, you know. Looks worn down, mistreated, I, mistreated, or whatever the situation you're asking. But I walk in, I'm, I'm treating the patient, stuff like that, and I am looking, and I will see holes in the ceiling where the wires are coming out, and they don't have smoke alarms. That is where you know I ask, do you have working smoke alarms? No, my landlord's my landlord's working on it. I said, okay, um, do you mind if we put some up? And you know, I put two or three up just to make sure. They have a working smoke alarm. And a lot of times when you do that, that temporary fix becomes their permanent fix because the landlord never comes back we, originally fixed the problem. Yeah, but we have we have some of the best smoke alarms in the game. I, mean, I don't care what you say. You know, what we the city provides to its residents is the best in the game, I, I'm hands down. And that is my biggest thing is anytime we go on a call, we will test the smoke alarms and ensure that they have enough and they're in adequate areas, especially – so let's speak on adequate areas. Okay. So what what is what is justify an adequate area? In sleeping quarters, outside of sleeping quarters. I mean, fire code is fire code, but I mean, I, I'm always, when I go in and I'm looking at the home, I'm looking at the person and I'm looking at where he or she sleeps and their exit of getting out. Obviously, you got to look at the kitchen layout. And you also, because they asked me, where do you think I should put it? I said, you got to think. When smoke travels, whereas it runs, it's kind of run across the ceiling. So you don't want to put it in a corner, or or you want to put it, you know, what's the 30, 36 inches off the wall? Or what's the proper? What's do you know the proper one? Don't get me lying. No, I can't quote the billing code, but I think it's no closer than twelve inches from a. But it close. Vertical try to get in the somewhat center yeah. of the room. Yeah, that's gonna be your best bet. Actually, actually, in the bedrooms, I think that the the code calls for them to be within so many feet of the doorway, yeah. because that's where your smoke's coming in the bedroom from the doorway. But if you if this is an elderly person who takes has his pain medication or a sleeping pills, might be a hard sleeper. So I want to put one. So I so I will put one in their room and I'll put one outside of their room and at the end of the hallway. Close to that favorite recliner, right? That's right. But I'll put one. I'll try to have like one, two, three. Three means of smoke alarms to go off until it gets to the their actual bedroom. Right. Yeah, and that's you know we're it goes back to building codes. So 
pre early 1900s mm-hmm. all they had was battery operated and usually there was just one in a hallway we're mm-hmm. trying to improve on that um the current code now is in every sleeping quarter in the common area and every floor and they're all integrated mm-hmm. so one goes off the oh god those are great i think our citizens need to realize that yes we do provide smoke alarms mm-hmm. but especially in newer homes where they're integrated that, that's a temporary fix that isn't the solution um, the solution is that they should be replacing all their smoke alarms to keep that integrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maintaining what you got. Right, because what we're doing is we're individual stations. They're great smoke alarms, 10-year battery sealed, don't really have to do anything. Mm-hmm. But it's not one go off. They all go off like the house was designed. Yeah. Right. And we and I tell we when I was when I told folks all the time I would take it off. I said go to your hardware store, whatever, wherever you buy your smoke alarms, you know, or on the internet, and when you get them, call me back and I will put them up for you. You don't put them up, I will put them up, and that's that's worked great on multiple occasions. I was I'd be, I'd be gone, they'd buy them, I'd come back in a day or so, and I'd put them right back up. Case closed. Absolutely, mm-hmm. gentlemen. I th- I thank you very much for joining me today, uh, and I hope our citizens learned a little bit more about community risk reduction. I hope so. If you need smoke alarms, give us a call 433-1413. All right, back to our safety message of the day. Um, October is Fire Prevention Week. National Fire Protection Association established this week in 1922. It's observed each year during the week of October 9th, which is commemoration of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Every year they got a different message. This year's message is cooking safety starts with you. Um, Unattended cooking continues to be the leading cause of accidental fires in the United States, and it's been that way for a while. The safety tips, be on alert. If you're sleepy or consumed alcohol, do not use your stovetop. Stay in the kitchen while you're frying, boiling, or broiling. Use a timer to remind yourself that the stove is on. And keep ovens, mitts, uh, towels, wooden spoons, other things that can catch fire away from the stovetop. Thank you for joining us on Fayetteville Fire Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Radio Fayetteville on your favorite stream platforms to listen to all our podcasts. Next time, we're going to talk about women in the fire service. Until then, be safe.